It's good to be here this evening already, and I think if someone was observing from the outside what was going on here, you would already be able to discern why this church and this way that we practice is different from most of the religions of the world. There are two things, I think, that distinguish God's people today. The first one is love. Not one built on shallow affection, but a deep, abiding love. The second one that we've heard tonight over and over already is that God is experimental. You experience Him. And I would not take anything for that. That I can sense His presence, that I can hear His voice, that I can benefit from the fruits of His presence. Not just here, anywhere. And I'm thankful for that tonight. I'm thankful that I have felt that in my heart. I don't suppose generally I'm a very emotional person, uh, but I would like to think, I've never been anybody else, but that I feel a lot. It just doesn't always come out too much. Um, And I'm grateful for what I have felt tonight. Brother Eaton has mentioned multiple times this week a heaviness. And I can feel it. Can you? Just a a heaviness, a burden. And I hope that that will persist among us that are saved, and especially among you that are lost tonight, that you would feel a heaviness and a need for or a desire to come to know our Savior tonight. Anybody have anything on their heart tonight before we look to the word of the Lord this evening? If you have a Bible and you'll read along with us, we're going to read from the book of Judges, chapter 17. The book of Judges, chapter 17, and this thought came to me, I don't know, a few days ago. And um, the scripture didn't come to mind until this morning. So you pray the Lord would help me to express what He has put upon my heart. I suppose sometimes we resist as preachers for whatever reason preaching things. And I don't always know why, but um, I kind of wrestled with this scripture today and with the Lord today and pray you would just be attentive to his word and he would speak to us tonight through his word. Judges chapter 17, and we'll begin reading in verse 1 and read down to verse 13, which is the end of the chapter. And there was a man of Mount Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said unto his mother, The eleven hundred shekels of silver that were taken from thee, about which thou cursest, and spakest of also in mine ears, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my son. When he had restored the eleven hundred shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord from my hand for my son, 
to make a graven image and a molten image. Now, therefore, I will restore it unto thee. Yet he restored the money unto his mother, and his mother took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to the founder, that's just a silversmith, who made thereof a graven image and a molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. The man Micah had a house of gods and made an ephod and a teraphim and consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And there was a young man out of Bethlehem, Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed out of the city from Bethlehem, Judah, to sojourn where he could find a place. And he came to Mount Ephraim, the house of Micah, as he journeyed. And Micah said unto him, Whence cometh thou? And he said unto him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem, Judah, and I go to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said unto him, Dwell with me, and be unto me a father and a priest, and I will give thee ten shekels of silver by the year, and a suit of apparel, and thy victuals. So the Levite went in. And the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man was unto him as one of his sons. And Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest, and was in the house of Micah. Then said Micah, Now know I that the Lord will do me good, seeing I have a Levite to my priest. How to conclude our reading tonight, that's reading the entire chapter of the book of, or excuse me, the entire 17th chapter of the book of Judges. And the title of our message tonight would be, I suppose, in the form of a question. Are you seeking religion or seeking God? Are you seeking religion or are you seeking God? Now tonight, I want to make sure, you know, there's a lot of terms are important to define. Because what we mean by things may be vastly different. Now I think what I'm using today when I say the word religion is not necessarily the biblical definition of religion. Best that I can tell through the Bible, whenever it refers to religion, it talks about our actions. So if you remember in the book of James, chapter 1, it tells us that pure religion and undefiled before God is to visit the widows and the fatherless in their affliction and to not put our hands to ungodly things. And I didn't quote that last part exactly, but or to stay unspotted from the world, I believe it says. And so we see in the Bible that that is the way religion is used, and yet we also acknowledge today that that word has taken on a meaning of its own. And so we're going to use the, uh, the, the daily use of it, the colloquial way that we speak of it, and that is when people often speak of religion, they're talking about uh, the institutions or the practices, the administrations of religion is generally what people are talking about in modern times when we talk about religion. And so the question we're asking you tonight, and the question that I wish that we could ask many people in the world, is are they seeking religion, or are they seeking God? Now I'll confess to you today that the stated 
purpose of religion, if you ask most people, is to help you find God. And yet, if we pause and back up for a moment, we can see, even amongst some of the Lord's churches, how that can be our stated intent. But sometimes we get sidetracked. And we lose sight of what our intent and what our need to do among ourselves within the institution of the Lord's church is to point people to God and to we ourselves seek after the Lord. And so tonight we want to put that question before you. Are you looking for religion or are you looking for God? Because though they may look similar the end result in finding one or the other is a vast difference. And I would argue today that many people in America over the last 50 to 60 years have found religion. And those same people who have found religion are void of God. The brother quoted today, he quoted the scriptures that will know a tree by its fruit. Well, let's look at the fruit of the religious institutions of America over the past 50 or 60 years. The ungodly state that we find our nation in is a direct result of the religious institutions which have prevailed in our culture in the last 50 or 60 years. If you want to find a way to ease your conscience, a lifestyle, and we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight, you can find that in religion. But what we find in God is that we lose a lot. We lose a lot. And we want to talk about that in reference to our scripture this evening with this narrative of this man. Now, what we find here is something very simple. There's a man and there's kind of two different stories going on here. A man named Micah. And Micah evidently stole some of his mother's money or, or placed it somewhere in the house where she didn't know where it was at. And she got real upset about it. And she cursed out about what had been done. And so he acknowledges and he says, Mother, I, I've got your money. And it was a very sizable amount of money. She was obviously a very well-off person because what we find in the very next story is that this priest that came to him was paid 10 shekels and she had missed for a year. And this uh, this woman had misplaced 1,100 shekels of silver. So obviously this is a sizable amount of money that she has. And so she takes part of that money, 200 shekels, and she says, I'm going to devote it unto a purpose and give it in the name of my son to a silversmith, and he's going to make some gods for me. He's going to make some silver gods and he's going to carve some gods out. And so that's what he does on behalf of Micah. And Micah builds a little part of their house, a room or perhaps a full, fully separate building where he can set up all of those gods and he can go to this place and he can worship. Now I want you to know tonight that he was, by all indications, from the house of Judah. He was a Jew. So he was at least partially acquainted with the lifestyle and the ways of God. But he wed them with the culture around him and with the preferences of his heart. We'll come back to that here in just a moment. He continues in the story. He's got 
the church house built. He's got the God that he wanted. Now all he needs is a preacher. Now all he needs is a priest to serve in that place. And we know it tells us in the very last verse why he was seeking a priest for that purpose. Listen to what it says. It reveals the intent of his heart very clearly when it says this. Then said Micah, after he had found the priest, Now know I that the Lord will do me good, seeing I have a Levite to my priest. You see, he wanted a religious figure. He wanted a Levite, someone who came from the Levitical priestly tribe to be one that he hired to come in that would tell him and would help him to worship, that would guide him or perhaps that he would guide or he could evidently mold this young man to say what was applicable and desirable to his ears. And so we find that this man, Micah, shaped everything about his religion the precise way that he wanted to so that it would be a desirable place to go. And the reason is because he wanted good to come to him in this life. That's what it told us in verse 13. He wanted to have a good life. If you cannot see the parallels to our day, I hope that you'll listen tonight. Because friends, We have so many things in common with this man, or our culture rather has so many things in common to this man, Micah. I believe tonight that this church house, not because I'm the pastor here, I would have never become the pastor here had this not already been the case before I came here. Or this way, that whenever we say this way, what we're referring to is that there are sister churches that we fellowship with, that we have communication with, that we share uh, an interest and the common faith with, that this faith and this way that we practice is unique in large part. One reason for that is that we recognize that this is not about our comforts. This is not about what we want as God or how we want to worship. We cannot interpret the scriptures to mean what we want. We cannot look for what would be mutual, mutually beneficial to me as the preacher, to this preacher and to the congregation and make some silent or spoken agreement as to this is the way that I'm going to behave, if this is the way that you're going to behave. And we don't make an agreement like that, but this way is different because from this side of the pulpit and that side of the pulpit, our stated and desired goal is that we would simply believe and practice exactly what God wants us to within these walls and perhaps even more so outside of these walls. We want the word of God to prevail. And if you've been upon the path of true Christianity very long whatsoever, what you'll quickly come to learn is that very often there are prejudices and biases that you and I can develop. There are desires that we can find in our hearts that must be uh, approached and confronted by the word of God. And then we must decide, will I continue down my path or will I concede, repent of my own desires and surrender to what God wants me to be in this life. That's a hard thing to do. Part of the reason it's so hard is because many people make religion their identity. Now, I want you to listen to this, please, because this, the, the Lord's been really speaking to me about this. We're really working in my heart about this. Is there anything more fundamental to a person than their identity? I would say no. Like how we're conscious, how we view ourselves. 
right? So some people view themselves. I've heard my wife say many times in her own testimony, just a couple weeks ago, whenever she was here or when she was testifying, she said she viewed herself as Catholic. She was not a practitioner of Catholicism. She was not a member of the Catholic church. She was Catholic. Now, what do we find today? You know, I, I referenced the other night the, the gay movement. On our Wednesday nights, we're going to be studying that. That's why I've, it's been so much in the forefront of my mind is because I've been trying to study and listen to people who have come out of that. And what you'll know is how Satan has used that same template like he did for so long that people are born of a certain nationality or now he's dividing us by race, that your identity is found uh, in your race or in your gender. That's who you are. Or your identity is found in your Catholicism. Now he's saying it's in your, Satan is saying it's in your sexual orientation. So if somebody rejects your desires, your lustful desires, whether heterosexual or homosexual, if they reject that, they're not just rejecting a practice or a behavior, they're rejecting you. What a crafty way for Satan to design de de deception, right? Because immediately, if you reject me, I'm not going to trust you. I might be able to listen to you if you say, I don't agree with something you're doing, but I love you. But when Satan convinces the mind, no, that is you. What you practice, what, that is who you are. Then immediately, what do people begin to do? Build walls up from listening to anybody that not might support what they believe or practice. You see, this man... He was a Levite by birth. His employment was that which was natural to the Levitical tribe. That was part of his identity. And the Bible tells us what he was doing. He was walking, wandering around, looking for a place. I, I, I can't tell you. It makes me almost laugh how familiar that sounds to today. Do you know what so many young people are doing today when they get to be about a freshman or sophomore in high school all the way up until they get through their college years that they've been told you can do whatever you want, you can be whatever you want, the sky's the limit, choose the life you want to live, go find it, go find happiness. And so what do they begin to do? They begin to wander and look and they go from group of people to group of people and these people hold up their flag and they say, this is our identity, you're welcome if you want to come be a part of us and other people hold up a different flag and say this is their identity and it can be religious, it can be social, it can be cultural, it can be sexual, it can be any kind of flag or demographic you want. You can go be a part of that group and, and these people, especially young people, are wandering today looking for who they are. And here's the dangerous thing. There are many people out there who are targeting you, looking to define you and bring you in for their own self-interests. Oh, they'll say love and they'll say tolerance and they'll use all of these words that sound good, but when the rubber meets the road and you really get to what they're motivated, it is not for your welfare, but it is for their own benefit. Listen, that can be, that's the pattern of, of religion. So I'm not just talking about people out there per se. Institutional religion does the exact same thing. 
here, this young man, he was wondering. Many people today, they wonder. You know, I, there was a girl at my school, and uh, she came in one day to talk about uh, the Fourth Amendment, and somehow we got to talking about the Lord. I don't know how that happened, uh, but it did. And she got to tell me about her life and about her problems and that she was just, she was searching for something. And so her family had never been religious. And so she was just going from church to church. She would drive home from school and she would just take a different route home and see if there was any churches there. And then the next Sunday, if she saw a church on a corner, she'd just go in there. And she would say, well, I don't know how, I just want to see how I felt when I walked in. Listen, tonight, that's, I was thankful that she ended up coming to church at our, at our church down at Friendship, and she got saved. I was thankful for that. And she never joined the church, but she's definitely, her life and her countenance and things about her has changed, drastically changed from what she previously was. And she uh, really hit it off with my wife. But I want you to know tonight that there are many people that as she was going around, she was telling me that she felt very uncomfortable because Things were very fake, the places that she went. Very artificial, very businesslike. And she could reason, she was a very analytical and intelligent young lady, and she could reason, listen, religion ought to be different than businesses. Businesses have marketing plans. Businesses uh, try to uh, put commercials on television and make it look like that they have the best possible good or service that you possibly need. But she wasn't looking for that. She was saying, I was hurting within, and I was going to find what everybody that I would hear talk about, that religion had solved so many people's problems, and so I was going from one religion to another religion to another religion, just looking for my problems to be solved. But the problem today with so many religious institutions is that they're just striving to get people and any, they'll do anything. And so what you notice, even in the short time that I've been an adult, you'll notice that religions in America go through these fads. And they're really big because they entice a lot of people. But the question I would ask you tonight is, not are they big, not are they entertaining, not are they cool to watch, not are they have a lot of people, not do you have the feeling of community there, not are you proud to be a part of this group, but do they speak and point people to the true ways of God? That's what matters. Do you remember the crusade fad? Where it was no longer about coming into the house of God getting saved, planning your membership somewhere, being discipled and taught and grown and maturing so that then you could do the same thing. What it became about was that you would have two or three organizations and they would have their favorite preachers and they would come to a community and they'd go to a big arena or they'd go to a big tent. And the goal, and you know it was the goal because it was what was repeated over and over and over, is how many professions of faith can we have from people who come forward? And so it was into the thousands. And you know, I, when I traveled overseas, I learned that in some countries, supposedly the conversions went into the hundreds of thousands in these crusades. Where's that fad now? You don't hear the word crusade very much, do you? Why? Because it promised religion and didn't give you God. God. 
And then it became the youth group fad. Remember that fad? Late 90s? That was going to solve all the church woes of all the kids exiting church. Was what we do. Now I want you to think for just a moment. You give me a verse that can back up this idea in the Bible. Let's get a whole bunch of young people together in the church. Put a young person in charge of all of those young people to teach them about life. And about the Bible and about God. And then they can go out and have a bunch of fun activities and do a whole bunch of fun things. And maybe that'll keep them in church. It's a good business model. But you don't make mature Christians out of that, do you? Not at all. No, actually what the Bible teaches me in the book of Titus is that who should be teaching the older, or excuse me, the younger women? Who should be teaching the younger men? The older men and the older women. You see, any fad where you're saying somebody three or four or five years older than me, when, we're, when you're just in your teens and 20s and early 30s, they're going to be instructing you and developing you. I would say, hold on a second. Wait for a second. That's dangerous. Right? Because the Bible over and over talks about the wisdom of those who have gone before and that the silver lining of the hair is indicative of that wisdom. And so when you're perplexed and you're struggling and you don't know what to do in life and you're looking for guidance through the word of God about how to raise a family and how to find a spouse and how to do all the, how to find a profession and do all the things that you're called to do, don't go to somebody your age. Go to somebody who might know something about the word of God and through their experience the ways of God but that was a big fad wasn't it and churches ballooned for a minute and then people realized the emptiness of it and then it was gone oh there's still youth groups out there and and please don't take it in the extreme fashion right I'm not saying young people can't get together so don't don't take that to an extreme We could take it to an extreme. That's a dangerous place. I'm not speaking in extremes tonight. I'm talking about when the goal, when the the idea is that we're going to entice people in through these things. Anything other than truth and God is not something we want to entice people in with. Listen, if people come, this is honest as the pastor of this church, if people are looking to come to Old Union and they want to continue to attend or they want to join the church and their prime motive is we want to have a whole bunch of activities and we want to like each other and we want to have fun, we don't want those kind of members. Those are carnal people. And there are organizations in the world that can offer those carnal activities. Know what true, genuine followers of Christ want are people who also want to follow Christ and want to conform themselves into his image. Judson asked me the question the other day, why do saved people go to church? Just a couple days ago, yeah, why do saved people go to church? If they've already been saved, Dad, why do they need to go? And I said, Judson, look at me. You know, the funny thing was I just, I just, uh, unnecessarily got on to him, I'll put it that way, right? I just lashed out a little bit. And then he's asking me this question. And I said, Judson, you know what I did just a minute ago? That was wrong. I'd already apologized to him. I said, that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. I apologize to you. You see, my behavior is not always in conformance with Jesus Christ. I go to church because I look like Brad Hicks. 
I don't want to look like him. I want to look like Jesus. I know Brother Moran's older than I am. He's been in this way a, a long while. His life, getting up in his 80s, you know what he's still striving to do? Look more and more like Jesus Christ. There's too much of Brother Moran. Needs to be more Christ. There's too much of Brad Hicks. There needs to be more Christ. That's why we come to the house of God as saints. There's many other reasons, but that's one of them. The youth group fad, it didn't accomplish that. You know, there have been many others that have come through here. The most, one of the recent ones that have really gripped my generation when we started getting into the teens and, and 20s was the megachurch phenomenon. You know, it's about the, how, the bigger the better. And all the, the good things that came along with that, the entertainment, right? The more people you have, it's just like sports. If you go to a real small school like I did in high school, we had about 500 kids. And by all modern day equivalent, you know, that's not very big. And so your talent level is a lot smaller. And so things that might not be impressive to you all who went to a bigger school was very impressive to us. When we would record off certain basketball feeds or certain track feeds, we were proud of ourselves because of what we did, because our pool was small. And for most of human history, because of natural limitations, most churches sprinkled out through the world were very small churches. And then technology caught up and architecture caught up and it allowed for in more places, more larger facilities to host more people. And so the megachurch phenomenon came and amongst that large group of people, guess what you could find? Professional preachers or speakers, professional singers, professional everything. And so what you did is you hired all of these people and you put them all together and man is it an impressive thing to behold everything can go off so smoothly and sometimes you hear the preacher preach and I thought to myself many times listening to certain men if I practiced for a thousand years I could never get that good at speaking Paul didn't want to be that good at speaking you know that he said I speak and preach not with enticing words of man's wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and the power. And he actually warned against it because he said, if we get caught up speaking with these enticing words, then the cross of Christ will have lost its effect. Or in other words, you'll listen to how I'm speaking and not listen to the transformative message that I'm telling you about. I hope you don't get caught up in how I speak. It bothers me. I think about that a lot as a, as a preacher. I don't want people to like my style. I want people to love the word of truth and the power of God in it. Oh, the megachurch phenomenon hit allowed for so many cool things. I went to one of those one time. I had a friend invite me to a concert at this megachurch, a popular Christian artist. A bunch of my friends from our show choir went and they invited me to go along, so I decided, you know, I've never been to something like that, so I'm just going to try it out. I'm going to go, and I had no, no temptation to join that church or anything. I just, my friends were going, and I was 15, and I wanted to go with them. And, and so you know it's a, a place that is focused on the right thing when young people are in the altar having a mosh pit, right? Because that's what was going on. And then by the end of the service, all the people are, all the kids are weeping, and you know, if you're not careful, if you're like me, I can watch some of these music, musicians and I can listen to some of the music and listen, it's good. And it can play upon your emotion in a powerful way. 
And I'll say that night when I was watching and I was seeing what was going on and all these people supposedly coming forward and giving a profession of faith and accepting Christ as their personal Savior. God is my witness. One of the only two places I've ever been where I would be willing to uh, give my life to say there were demonic forces present at that place. Oh, I felt so uncomfortable. And I just thought, this is wrong. This is wrong, what's going on here. But it has its pleasures, doesn't it? It has its benefits. Now today it's online church. You know, it started before the pandemic. And I'm not talking about for a a short period of time out of necessity, right? We did what we had to. But I'm talking, I know people, people in my family, who now, because the megachurch with the coffee shop and the food court and the professionals was still required them to get out of their pajamas into shorts and a t-shirt and go over there, it required that much of them that they then now relegated for people who don't want to just stay at home. And we'll do online church at home. This scripture gives us a precedent that goes way long back because you know what Micah did? You know how he got what he wanted? He pulled out his wallet. And he said, how about 10 shekels in a shirt? How about 10 shekels in a shirt? Will that do it? And the, the young priest, note that, the young priest, the easily deceived one, said, well, yeah, that's sufficient. Ten shekels and a shirt. You're letting me stay here for free? Of course, I'll worship. So then this Levite, this messenger of God, begins to be a priest over something. You know, there are 613 laws in the Jewish law. That's a lot. But I think what we all know is that there are ten that most of us could probably know. And there are probably the first three or four that we really know. The very law that this Levitical priest is violating is the second law of all the Ten Commandments, right? Don't have any graven images before you. You see, so I want to point out something tonight for people who are finding religion and it satisfies them for but a moment, is you can pay for whatever religion you want to find. And there are many people who, for the right price, will deliberately and knowingly violate the word and law of God to accommodate people's desires of their flesh. And if I had to say, I would say most religion that we see in America today is exactly that. Listen, I don't want a coffee coffee shop at this church. I like coffee. I don't want it here. I don't want to come in and say, man, I feel so much more comfortable because we made this decision. Because the religion of Jesus Christ, do you know how much concern that it gives to our comfort? Zero. None. None. Actually, it's quite the opposite. Because what God has done through the religion of Jesus Christ, you see, I'm even hesitant to call myself a Christian today, aren't you? I mean, really, like, Christianity just has such a, to you it's one thing, to me it's a different thing, to somebody else it's something else. I I don't even feel comfortable when people say, are you a Christian, saying yes. I mean, I say yes, 
But I always want to say, well, let me put my, my little note in here. <laughs> let me explain more. See, this man, the radical religion, he had nothing of wanting to know and do what God wanted. See, the radical religion of Jesus Christ calls us to a death of this flesh. See, what was required of my wife, what was required of many of you in here, is to forsake your identity. You know, I, I, I heard somebody say this the other day, and it was so powerful to me where they said it. This, 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 uh, this woman who had practiced homosexuality identity was gay. She said, I, was, I thought for so long I was born this way. And then a preacher looked at me and said, well, even if you are, that's why you need to be born again. I thought, wow, that's pretty. They're not born that way. But even if you thought you were, that's the reason why you need to be born again. Because what Christ calls all of us to do is to forsake the, the height, what salvation, the way that you obtain salvation is by repenting of your sins, by turning away from everything that looks like you, all the desires, all the hopes and aspirations, all the wants that you have, all the prejudices and biases, all the things that you would pay a preacher to do for you to be more accommodating to your flesh. You're saying, I don't want any of those things. What I truly want is to know God. Jesus told us as he was praying to the Father in, in the book of John chapter 17, this is life eternal, that you know me. Religion can facilitate a whole lot of things, but the one thing it's meant to facilitate the best is to know God. And if you get into a religion and it's all about rules, you know, because we have the one on the one side who's all about modernism and easy beliefism and all the things that we've discussed. But then there's another end of the spectrum, right? There's the legalism. There's those who are usually born into something and they practice it blindly and they're indoctrinated. But usually the, the hinge of all of it is this fear that if they forsake it, they're going to hell. And so what I saw, we had these two Mormon boys come to our house and we met up a time and had the schedule to come in. And I know I told the church this, I think just a couple months ago, and they came in and well, I was talking to them and one of them was just going through, the, going through the program. And the other one starts asking questions, like really asking questions. And I could sense, I mean, he was for real. He was really asking and searching and his heart was tender I just started completely ignoring the other, other guy. And man, I just started pouring my heart out to that young man. And every time that he would get away from the program, it's like he would be pulled back in. And then he'd get away from it. And he'd really start asking questions, the inappropriate type. You know, the ones that you're not supposed to ask if you practice that religion. And then he'd get sucked back in. And man, as they were about to leave... I just started, I asked, I said, can, we, can I pray? And I just started begging God on behalf of this young man right in front of him. And here's what I prayed. God, if I'm wrong, show me. And friends, I mean it. I do, I mean it. Please hear me tonight. If missionary Baptist churches teach the wrong thing, I want nothing of it. But if they teach the right thing, it's the only thing I want. 
And I began to pray for myself. I said, Lord, please, if these boys are right, speak to me, Brother Danny. Speak to me. Let me know for sure. But Lord, if these boys are mistaken, you know one of the amazing things that one of them said? This was amazing to me. I said, you know, if Jesus was wrong, I'm going to hell. Because all of my eggs are in the basket of Jesus Christ. And my life is going to be, of all things, I'm going to be the most miserable wretch because I wasted my entire life and my eternity is lost upon the character and virtue of Jesus Christ. But if Joseph Smith was wrong, all of your lives and everything you know and all of those people are damned forever. And you know what that young man said? You're right. Admitted Joseph Smith wasn't perfect. Admitted even that in his previous part of his life, before he became a prophet, he had committed some sins. And yet still, they were putting their life in his trust. You know, one of the amazing things that they said was that, this is part of Mormonism, you can look it up on their website, you can talk to a Mormon, they'll tell you this, I'm not misrepresenting him at all. And some of you brothers who know, sisters that know about Mormonism can vouch for this. They believe that the truth was lost for like a thousand years. And that the first man to ever come along and say, Lord, show me the truth with a humble heart was Joseph Smith. Now friends, I just have a hard time buying that. Here's my point. Many other people, religious people, they're that way because they've been institutionalized. Don't do that. You see, what we believe is that God called us to freedom. And I've never, you know, I've, I've, uh, it's true, I've called Brother Reynolds a lot over the years, and he can tell you that, Anne can tell you that, because she usually answers the phone and is a little annoyed that I'm calling, I think, uh, because I do so many times. And I've got all these questions, right, that I ask. You know, never once has he looked at me and said, you can't ask that. I've called Brother Moran with questions before. said, but I don't understand this. And sometimes it questions long-held beliefs that missionary Baptist people have had. I said, I want to understand better. I want to know. And they've never said, don't ask that. Or just believe it this way. I never say that. Brother, you know, what, you know what they tell me over and over? This is what I think the Bible teaches. Here's what the Bible says. Go look at it yourself and pray and wait for the Lord to reveal it to you. And he will. Tonight, here's the rest of this story and I'm done. Chapter 18 is important to understand chapter 17 where it went. A group of men, years later, came back to, they were from the tribe of Dan. They went and they were sojourning to look for a place to, to settle because those from the tribe of Jan, Dan during the time of Joshua where they were divvying up all the land, they didn't, weren't given a spot. And so they began to go around and look for a spot. And in the midst of their journey, they came to Micah's house. And they went into Micah's house and they saw all of his gods and they saw this priest and they saw, listen to this, he's got a pretty good religious setup here. He gets the desires of his flesh and the God of his choosing. And so they remembered it. 
And they went out to this little community and they realized that that community had made no provisions to protect themselves with the military. And so they went back, those five spies did. They got all the army with 600 men. They came back and on the way, they stopped at Micah's house and they told that priest, we're taking your God and you're coming with us because it's no reason for you to just be a priest to one man. You might as well be a priest to the hundreds of them. And so that's what that young man did. He went out and he followed those men and they settled somewhere. Now listen to this because this is really important. The very end of that chapter in chapter 18, I'm going to turn there and read it for you because it's that important. Here's what it says. They had found this settlement and they had got to this place and they had brought their God and they had brought that priest and they had set him there. And now listen to what happened. And they sent them, set them up Micah's grave image, which he made all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. So here's the question when I was reading this this afternoon. How long was the house of God in Shiloh? So I went and I started flipping all through my Bible and it took me about an hour to figure it out. And I finally did. You know how long it was from this point? About 400 years. So you think about this. I really want you to just consider this for a moment. In the privacy of his own home, he desires to combine his own carnal desires with his religion to ease his conscience. He hires a priest. His mom builds him a God, and there they've got it. And it's only, you know, that's what you hear today. Well, if sins, if that's in their house, it's not going to affect you. That's a lie. That's a lie, right? We don't believe that. But hey, I can have my own little God. And then what we find is that that little God to one man spread to five men at first. And those five men took it to 600 men. And then those 600 men put it in the place of the house of God. And for 400 years, their descendants had that little priest or had somebody fashioned after that priest and had all those little gods that they worshiped. I've got four boys now. Do you know what terrifies me about being wrong? I couldn't bear the knowledge that I was going to hell if I was. But what about all my descendants? See, listen, friend, it's important. And I, want to get to, I don't want to speak any more in types. And I'm going to finish with this. It's important where you go to church. It's important who you follow. It's important what they teach and what they believe and what they advocate. Because even if it's just you, you're talking about your eternal soul's definition or destination. And eternity is for a lot longer than you and I could ever conceive. But it's more than that. It's about your children and your grandchildren. And listen, all Eve did was be tempted by this little snake to break a little law. And all the pain and suffering you see today is from the bite of Adam's fruit. I taste the fruit of Adam today. And so do you. And these, these children who have recently lost their lives that we've talked about before the church, and these people who have died of cancer, and all the pain and sorrow and the divorce, and all the things that have happened in this life come from the decision of one man. In other words, it has an effect down the road, and this man's did. That's why it's important, and this is, I hope you're getting this from the message, 
to make sure you're seeking God and not religion. I want God more than anything. And there came a point, I've told the church this before, there came a point in my teens and in my early 20s where I said to the Lord as honestly as I could, if truth leads me away from my family and everything they believe, I'll leave. I'll leave. I'm thankful it didn't. But had it, I pray God would have given me the grace to follow it. Friend, tonight, here's where I would do if I was in your shoes. If I was sitting there and I was wondering and I was doubting and I'm listening to this message and I'm thinking, you know, some of those things I could check off the box. I was born there or I got, you know, there was people putting up their little flag and I got enticed by this activity, by this thing, by whatever circumstances in life arose. And I, I went there. Here's what I would do. I'd put religion on pause for a moment and I'd start seeking after God. And then here's what I would do. I would go and I would search out and pray that God would send you to a people who know God themselves. And when you can sense that God is with those people, stay there. Stay there. And here's what I, this is my personality. And I'd ask him a million questions. I'd say, I just need to know. And you know what I do? I begin to realize, I think, they can give me some answers. But God, I've got to have assurance that what they're telling me is the truth. Tonight, it's serious. People are so flippant about where they go to church and where they worship and they follow preachers and they follow activities and they follow all sorts of things. Don't do it. Don't do it. All groups of people. Sister Ashley, if you'd get for us a song. One of the most popular groups of people, I would say the most popular group of people in hell today, are some of the most religious fanatics you'd ever find in the history of the world. I believe in a loving God who when a man humbles his heart, when a woman humbles their heart and asks to know truth, I believe God, listen, God will not just reveal it. He will reveal it in abundance. I hope tonight God will have spoken to you in some way through his word.